This is WQA Radio, a podcast from the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. And hello, I'm your host, Wes Bleed. we're about three quarters through um, the time period for the data collection and we've received data from 39 states and that includes data for over 160,000 public drinking water systems. We expect this will just be the beginning of being able to do this and and informing not our research alone, but really the the water community's research at large. That's Dr. Chad Seidel and earlier Dr. Carly Sampson from Corona Environmental Consulting talking about the Water Quality Research Foundation's Contaminant Occurrence Study. And welcome to another episode of WQA Radio, news and insights about residential, commercial, and industrial water treatment. Find us at wqa.org and on social media. This is podcast number 140. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. You can subscribe to the podcasts on Apple Podcasts or most popular podcast apps. And you can also find a link right on the WQA homepage at wqa.org. In this episode, we hear from Carly and Chad about the types of contaminants they are studying, where the data is coming from, and what they'll do with that data and the impact the research can have on the water treatment industry. Plus, I'll have our WQA tip. Now on to my conversation with Dr. Carly Sampson and Dr. Chad Seidel with Corona Environmental Consulting on WQA Radio. We're talking about the Contaminant Occurrence Study funded by the Water Quality Research Foundation. And the study is designed to collect occurrence data of selected regulated contaminants that are detected at levels below the enforceable MCL, but above the health goal, MCLG, and also select aesthetic contaminants, things like hardness, iron, manganese, and disinfection residuals. The study is going to identify the frequency, concentration, and populations affected by these contaminants in publicly supplied drinking water. And with that, let me introduce our guests. Carly Sampson is a PhD and environmental engineer with Corona Environmental Consulting, and Chad Seidel, also PhD and PE, president of Corona Environmental Consulting. And to both of you, thank you for joining us on WQA Radio. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Great, great. So uh, talk a little bit about uh, your background so we understand where you're coming from when it comes to doing some of this scientific research. Um, Sure. I have a, well, going all the way back, I have a Bachelor of Science degree from McGill University with a major in mathematics. And then I have a master's in civil engineering and a PhD in environmental engineering from the University of Colorado Boulder. Um, I began working with Corona Environmental Consulting actually while I was still in grad school at University of Colorado, and I was working on a project that was funded by the American Water Works Association that was focused on um, the national occurrence of disinfection byproducts, or DBPs, in drinking water. And in that project, we had a whole data collection effort where we reached out to uh, state primacy agencies and received DBP data. 
And at this point, um, I've been working with Corona full-time for a little over three years on a variety of areas, including water treatment processes evaluations, facility master plans, affordability product projects, and you know other um, projects related to drinking water. Great. And Chad, how about you? Yeah, my name is Chad Seidel, president here at Corona Environmental Consulting, and I've been uh, working in the consulting field as a part of the water community for more than 20 years now, really getting my start after I uh, went to graduate school at the University of Colorado Boulder as well that I share with Carly. We both have uh, similar PhD advisors, and, and my focus has always been on how water issues are influenced by policy and uh, those science policy interactions. So my environmental engineering background has, has led to that. And, uh, myself and my, my partners, we started Corona Environmental Consulting a little over five years ago with the intent to be the place that the water community goes to to help uh, identify problems in the water community that maybe haven't even been fully assessed yet and, and certainly uh, solving those in ways that maybe have not been solved well before. And so I'm so glad to have great team members like Carly that uh, really helped dive into pressing questions that we face in the, the water community today. And the contaminant occurrence study, uh, you, you saw the, the uh, request for proposal by the Water Quality Research Foundation. What got you excited about it? So um, one thing I had mentioned before was the work that I had done on disinfection byproduct occurrence. And so this was, in a way, a similar opportunity to that project where it gave us it provides an opportunity to collect national drinking water occurrence data and assess national occurrence of contaminants that the public cares about, whether it's related to health or related to aesthetic concerns such as taste and odor and color of their drinking water, and to provide um, you know, a meaningful assessment of the data that we can collect. Uh, this was an opportunity for us to uh, actually get to know a little bit more about Water Quality Research Foundation and the things that are of interest and, and priorities for them. Uh, we at Corona are engaged in a number of research efforts funded by a wide variety of, of research organizations. And as Carly said, this was a great way to further our involvement, uh, trying to best answer questions about the occurrence of drinking water contaminants uh, and, and perhaps ways to uh, learn from that and help prioritize how we address health risks in drinking water. And, you know, this is a key part of my career, always looking at what actually is in water. And uh, in the U.S. today, there are a lot of great publicly available uh, sources of information about drinking water. But unfortunately, there are few that pull together the meaningful pieces of that information in a timely way to answer the questions about what's in our drinking water today or more recently. You know, some of the, the EPA-related efforts share publicly available data, but it doesn't get released until after many years go by. And so you can answer questions from uh, publicly aggregated data, but it might be at least, you know, a decade or two out of date. And this opportunity uh, that the Water Quality Research Foundation put out with their RFP really gives us the opportunity to pull together many of these available but disparate 
public data sets into a meaningful data structure that allows us to ask questions that many of us in the water community ask all the time, but just haven't had all the pieces together in one place uh, and a system to use it that way. Very good, very good. So, Carly, tell us about the contaminants that you're going to be studying and uh, and how those were chosen. All right. Um, so, there are a total of 46 contaminants that were the initial focus of this project. And those are contaminants that, um, as you mentioned when you were introducing the project, have an MCLG, which is the maximum contaminant level goal, which is lower than the MCL or maximum contaminant level. And these include um, contaminants such as arsenic and lead and disinfection byproducts. Um, and just to give a little more background, when the EPA regulates contaminants in drinking water, they first set the maximum contaminant level goal, which is just based on the toxicity of a contaminant. So it is the, um, the maximum level in drinking water that that contaminant is, um, or sorry, has no known or anticipated health effects that would occur. Um, they also set the MCL or maximum contaminant level which they try to set as close as possible to the MCLG in order to protect public health. Um, but when setting an MCL, they also have to consider available technologies to treat water, the cost of those technologies, and also for some contaminants, the MCLG is zero. So they also have to consider things like the ability of analytical methods and the level at which those contaminants can be detected. Um, and then in addition to those 46 contaminants. We're also looking at five additional aesthetic co contaminants or um, aesthetic concerns. So those include iron, manganese, pH, hardness, and then disinfection residuals such as chlorine or chloramines. And so those are things that um, are related to the taste, odor, or color of drinking water. So this data is going to be collected um, and from where? Is it going to be nationwide or, 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 or specific regions? Or what are you looking at and how up-to-date will it be? So we are looking to collect data across the entire country. So what we are doing is actually reaching out to all the state primacy agencies across the country. And um, we're working with um, either state regulators or state um, database managers, um, whoever actually works with the occurrence data um, to basically find, you know, what's the most efficient or easiest way for them to fulfill our data request. So we're asking for data for all these um, contaminants or analytes um, at, for at least 10 years, so back to the start of 2009, and uh, just working to find the easiest possible way for them to submit uh, that data to us. So can you talk about how the study is going so far? And do you have a timeline or a time frame when you're going to wrap things up? Yeah, so I think the project's going very well um, so far. The entire project is a year long. So it started um, July 8th, 2019. So we anticipate completing the project a year from then. So July 8th, 2020. Um, Currently, we're about three quarters through um, the time period for the data collection. 
and we've received data from 39 states, and that includes data for over 160,000 public drinking water systems. And it's important to actually note that's actually more that more systems than are currently active. So some systems over time either become inactive or there could be consolidation. So some of that will document as we go through the process. Um, but that's 39 states, and we have five additional states that um, have let us know that they're in the process of fulfilling the data request. So we're expecting data from at least 44 states or 88% of the states by the completion of the project. Can you talk about what this will look like when it's finished and, um, you know, will, it, will, will the, the data be mapped so people can, you know, click on an area and see what's, what's there or do you have some other form in mind? So the project will include um, a report that has, you know, summary of all the data. Um, but we are also going to work on a interactive tool, and so we've looked at some um, opportunities for a mapping tool that could allow um, investigating or looking at the results of individual contaminants at a time and, you know, across the country. Um, so the details of that are being worked out, but that is the idea for the interactive tool that will be a deliverable of the project. Great. Awesome. So, uh, Chad, can you talk about the importance of this study and how you think it's going to make uh, an impact for the water treatment industry? Yeah, happy to. Uh, obviously, the water community is always working to both understand and then share information about what's in our tap water. And that helps a number of different members of that community make good decisions about where to our, how to invest our resources to really maintain and promote the public health aspects that we always strive for in drinking water. And being able to pull all of the relevant data uh, together in a timely fashion, as Carly described, uh, will give us opportunities to look at things in ways that we just haven't been able to before because all that information has been disparate or, or not synced up in time to be able to understand how, uh, how we look at trade-offs and, and uh, public health uh, protection aspects of things between you know, disinfection and disinfection byproducts, inorganic contaminants like arsenic, and then even aesthetic issues like iron and manganese, uh, to understand what's the various ways that we in the community can address those things, again, from uh, regulatory aspects, uh, utility aspects, even consumer aspects of those things. And uh, we find in our work on these types of subjects, the primary objective of any given project is usually just the beginning. And then ultimately, uh, these types of efforts of bringing together all of this data only gives us more of a, a platform to ask and answer those next rounds of questions that come up in the outcome of the initial research project to begin with. So we, we expect this will just be the beginning of being able to do this and, and informing not our research alone, but really the, the water community's research at large. Well, it certainly seems interesting and uh, like it has a, a great deal of potential for, uh, for, for big impact. So we appreciate what you're doing. Anything else to, uh, to add before we close the, the interview? 
I'll simply add uh, just a, a note of thanks, certainly to the Water Quality Research Foundation for for uh, having the foresight to invest in this type of research and the importance and value of this. Um, certainly a, a note of thanks to all of those uh, that are participating in sharing data with us, those uh, in the, the EPA groups that are helping support some of the national data collections and our understanding of those data sources, and then certainly the the state folks that are um, often uh, being asked to provide data that goes beyond what they would typically do, and it's all publicly available data, but uh, we're trying to make it as seamless and, and straightforward as possible to share the data, but we know that they're going out of their way uh, to share that information with us, and we want to make sure that it gets uh, turned into something that's useful, not just for this project, but for, for all the types of questions that can be answered from this. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. It's Dr. Chad Seidel and uh, Dr. Carly Sampson with Corona Environmental Consulting. And we appreciate your uh, being with us on WQA Radio. Thanks to you both. Thank you. Thanks much. Now our WQA tip. I want to remind you of some past episodes of WQA Radio. And if you missed any of them, that you consider circling back and take a listen. For instance, podcast number 137 featured Dean Heil from the U.S. Department of Labor, our breakfast keynote speaker at the WQA Mid-Year Leadership Conference. Podcast number 135, we talked with WQA's Heather Duve about sponsorship opportunities at the WQA Convention and Exposition in Orlando coming up in April. And episode 130 with Zach Gleason, WQA's lab director, talking about how you can take advantage of the WQA lab for your research and development projects. And if you like what you hear, head on over to iTunes and consider giving us a rating and review. And be sure to share the podcast with a friend or colleague. Thanks for listening to WQA Radio, news and insights about residential, commercial, and industrial water treatment. Remember, you can subscribe to WQA Radio on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Just search for WQA Radio, then hit subscribe. Each new podcast will appear in your podcast catcher or podcast player automatically each week. That's the magic of podcasting. And be sure to rate and review the podcast as well. Learn more about water at WQA.org and learn more about WQA product certification, professional certification, and how you can become a member at WQA.org. This is Wes Bleed. So long from WQA Radio. WQA Radio.